welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of practice here at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, ETSU's Bill Gadd College of Pharmacy. It is the dog days of summer, August 11th, 2022. Uh, got a lot of updates uh, to go over. Some some FDA approvals going back even to June. I don't think I've covered June for crying out loud. Uh, but I want to start with um, one big and maybe one. Uh, smaller update from the World Lung Conference that's been going on uh, in the last week. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I, I saw from this was the adjuvant atizolizumab study. Um, we had uh, the, the first publication in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, about two years ago or so, and this is adjuvant atizolizumab for one year or placebo in stage 1B to 3A non-small cell lung cancer. And this was FDA approved in stage two to three A based on disease-free survival benefit. Uh, that FDA approval was in October of uh, 2001. So a little over a year ago. So maybe the publication was in the last uh, last 18 months. So what we get now are our first um, kind of look at overall survival numbers. Um, so the overall survival in the tumor cell um, PDL1 percentage, that's 1% or greater, in stage 2 to 3A, so not the 1B folks. Hazard ratio is 0.71, um, 95% comfortable, crosses 1. It goes from 0.49 to 1.03, so not significant. And the curves are, are really darn super close. Now, if you look at the overall survival for those that have tumor cell PDL1 expression of 50% or greater, so really high, again, stage 2 and 3A, that hazard ratio goes to 0.42. 95% comfortable, 0.23 to 0.78. And the separation of those curves continues even greater as time goes on. I'm taking this from people who've shared uh, pictures from this conference. Now, um, if we go back to the FDA approval that was based on disease-free survival, um, and it was uh, in those who had more than 1% tumor cell expression. At the times, here are the hazard ratios for disease-free survival for one to 49%, 0.87, and more than 50%, 0.43. And if we now have this extended follow-up and overall survival, uh, I'll say this again, the hazard ratio for disease-free survival, 50% PDL1 expression, went from 0.43 is 0.43, and then the overall survival hazard ratio is 0.42. So fairly predictive D DFS to overall survival, PDL1, greater than 50%. Uh, 1 to 49% was 0.87, 1 to 49% Overall survival hazard ratio was 0.93. Um, and then less than one, the hazard ratio was actually 1.21 for overall survival. So certainly no benefit of adjuvantatizo if you don't have any PDL1 expression, or less than 1%. Um, so what we see here, uh, it sure looks like there's overall survival benefits and, and likely some, some cures uh, for adjuvantatizo in those greater than 50%. Now, the greater than 1% cohort, of course, includes those more than 50%, and that's the original approval. Um, and when you look at the 1% to 49% cohort, you're not seeing evidence of, of overall survival benefit. If there even is a trend in overall survival benefit, it's quite small. Um, so it, you know, it may not be there. It certainly doesn't appear to be there at this first overall survival analysis. It's going to be really interesting to see what FDA does because the approval is based on DFS, in 1% or more, but the overall survival benefit sure looks like it's limited to those greater than 50%. Um, I don't know if FDA will do anything about restricting the approval, uh, 
because this is these overall survival estimates are, are in line with the disease-free survival estimates. Surrogate marker, uh, they gave the benefit of the doubt, it looks like, to the 1 to 49 percenters. Uh, now that we have some overall survival benefit, uh, you know, it's a lot of cost, a year of atezolizumab. It's a lot of money, um, and, and um, someone's paying for it. Uh, if the if the uh, label's not restricted, I do feel very good though about recommending adjuvant atezolizumab to those PDL1 more than 50% in the tumor cell. Looking at tumor cell, uh, okay, another maybe minor update um, from the World Lung Conference, and this was sotorasib. And I, you know, I've, it's been suggested to me that you should call this drug sotorasib to emphasize that it's a RAS inhibitor, KRAS inhibitor, versus the KRAS G12C. Uh, inhibitor approved for non-small cell lung cancer in the metastatic setting. I still think Satorasib sounds better. Anyway, Satorasib plus Pembro, maybe a tizzle, but I couldn't tell because I saw some funny angles of the slides here. Um, anyway, a lot of hepatotoxicity when Satorasib was combined with Pembro or maybe other immunotherapy at the full, uh, the Satorasib dose. At maybe like one quarter of the dose, it was better tolerated, but then if you're giving a much lower dose, you may not have that efficacy. So looks like it may be tough to combine that drug, uh, Satorasib, the KRAS inhibitor, with immunotherapy going forward. Um, I'm sure studies will look at a lower dose to see if there's efficacy. The very first, um, you know, uh, TKI that was uh, combined with immunotherapy that I can think of was dabrafenib combined with ipilimumab maybe a decade ago in metastatic melanoma, and we got a, a, a letter to the editor in New England Medicine saying we stopped the study because of because of severe and unacceptable transaminitis and hepatotoxicity. We see that again combined a TKI with immune checkpoint inhibitors. And I bring that up just to say uh, that it is, uh, you know, I think that we're we're fortunate that we have good, uh, you know, monitoring data of TKIs plus PD-L1 inhibitors in, um, in renal cell carcinoma, that those do appear to be uh, not unacceptably toxic, at least with regards to hepatotoxicity. So those are some of those are the most recent lung updates. Uh, I want to go through then some recent FDA updates, and this is one I just saw. This just happened yesterday. FDA um, converted catmatinib's approval for exon 14 for MET exon 14 skipping um, mutation in, in metastatic non-small cell lung cancer from an accelerated approval based on response rate to regular approval. And I, I don't know if there's precedent for this. But they've converted it from an accelerated approval, which requires confirmatory study, to a full regular approval based on more of the same data, which is response rate just with a higher number of patients uh, and, 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 and longer duration of follow-up. Still no proof it's better than, uh, than a comparison drug, uh, which is interesting. Um, I think that may be the first time that that ha has happened and certainly would be a signal to other TKI uh, wannabes uh, that you might not need to confirm uh, approval to get regular approval, um, which which is interesting. And that, that I actually just saw that uh, in the last half hour, so I haven't had a chance to dig into that data a whole lot, but I, I think that's interesting uh, and worth discussing. All right, now going back through uh, some, some other uh, FDA approvals uh, last week on the 5th of August, FDA approved darolutamide. Uh, in combination with docetaxel for metastatic hormone-sensitive uh, prostate cancer. This is based on the Arison study, which was published uh, earlier this year in March in the New England Journal of Medicine. Pretty sure we covered it on the podcast. Uh, that overall survival benefit was modest, hazard ratio of 0.68, uh, composite 0.57 to 0.8, 
Um, there was nothing new in the approval, the same median overall survival of not reached in the darolutamide group versus 49 months in the placebo group. Just to remind you, one of the big, you know, kind of issues with that study is uh, only 18% of people in the placebo arm got subsequent um, docetaxel. Most of them, uh, you know, went on to get, uh, you know, abiraterone, um, um, which is reasonable. Um, but, you know, taxanes are pretty darn important, so um, taxane's good in, in metastatic prostate cancer. We know that the, the timing here, uh, you know, this doesn't add a whole lot, I don't think, necessarily to what we knew, uh, but it is FDA-approved uh, nonetheless. Uh, I think really interestingly, uh, on the same day of the 5th, FDA-approved uh, trastuzumab deruxtecan for HER2-low metastatic breast cancer in the second line state after they've been treated once. Uh, and this was her too low is either immunohistochemistry IHC one plus, so there's there's some her two on the cell, but not enough that you would call it her two amplified or IHC two plus. Uh, so there's quite a bit of her two on the cell, but you don't see in situ hybridization activity of the of the her two gene. Um, so that's her too low. And this is based on Destiny Breast 04, published the, earlier a couple months ago in New England Journal of Medicine. At the time when I talked about this, I was really interested in the fact that uh, the data in here look, look pretty good for the study. It's compared to trastuzumab deruxtecans, compared to, um, to Physician's Choice Chemo, uh, which is capecitabine, uh, gemcitabine, uh, paclitaxel, or nanoparticle albumin paclitaxel, assuming that they're not using taxane and folks who already had taxane in the adjuvant setting, those are all reasonable uh, options. I think, um, you know, some of these folks may have been triple negative and could have had a pd one inhibitor. Anyway, you know, pretty sizable um, improvement in overall survival, has a ratio of 0.64. But what was really interesting at the time is that the study used an investigational HER2 assay. And they mentioned that in the methods, and, and I was wondering if, if FDA was going to require a companion diagnostic to use this for HER2 low disease. They didn't do that. Uh, and uh, ASCO just released a provisional clinical opinion uh, advocating for the use of um, or, or recommending uh, trastuzumab directocan in the, uh, for the HER2 low patients. So you're gonna see more of this drug used. A lot of pulmonary toxicity with this drug though. It's, 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 it's significant what you see here. Okay, uh, going back to July 14th, Crizotinib was approved for ALK positive inflammatory myofibrotic tumor in those one year of age or older. Uh, this is a real thing. I had never heard of ALK positive inflammatory myofibrotic tumor. This is probably the approval with the lowest, the least amount of data that I've seen. It's approved based on a, a 12 of 14 children, 86% had a response and five of seven adults had a response. So obviously a very rare disease. Um, but then you do get some, um, some additional uh, data uh, with regards to uh, use in pediatrics, perhaps. Uh, on 624, uh, lysocatagene cell was approved for relapsed refractory large B-cell lymphoma. Uh, if it relapsed within 12 months after a complete response uh, in the first-line setting or primary refractory, it's based on the TRANSFORM study. The CAR T space is getting a little, uh, maybe a little crowded here in uh, relapsed refractory large cell lymphoma. Probably gonna need to dedicate another episode with a, with a CAR T uh, expert just to talk about some of the differences between these products. A lot of nuance in evaluating these studies with regards to, um, you know, the 
the response, the people who do well are easy to see, the numerator, but how they, how you use the denominator to get a response rate and what you're measuring can be difficult uh, to assess with manufacturing delays. And then there's a whole nother uh, discussion about how, you know, you know, phase three studies of CAR-T products, how that translates from uh, a research or clinical research environment to the real world and real patients. Um, a lot of differences and nuance to talk about there. So I won't get into that now uh, for the sake of brevity. Uh, 622, um, FDA approved debrafinib and trametinib, not new drugs to be approved, but what is new is they were approved for BRAF V600 mutated metastatic solid tumors uh, six and up, so including some peds, that's kind of new, who have no other treatment option. This is a site agnostic approval. So yes, we know that they can be used for, for metastatic melanoma, but this is any cancer, all right? If you had a breast cancer that had a V600E mutation and these patients had gone through all the, uh, you know, the, the reasonable treatments for, uh, for breast cancer, you could do that potentially. Um, uh, this uh, 131 adults, 36 kids, uh, the adult response rate was 41% overall response rate. Uh, mostly, um, you know, cholangio had a 46% response rate, which is a difficult disease to treat. Uh, gliomas, either low grade or high grade, 33 or 50% response rates. Um, we do have some additional information now in the PI about dosing in children, which is weight-based. And I think this is the fifth site agnostic approval we have. So it's uh, these drugs are approved based on the genetic makeup of the tumor, not the origin or the tissue of origin. So we had Pembro for microsatellite instability. Uh, we had our Intrec inhibitors, Intrexinib and Larotrexinib, Dostarlamab for mismatch repair deficient cancers, and now combination BRAF, MEK inhibitor, Dibrafinib, and Trametinib. Um, so those are the updates I have uh, for this week. I, I, I had mentioned last week we might do a Foundations of Oncopharm episode. We'll have that coming once uh, we have a, a, little, um, a little break in, in the, the onslaught of new oncology news that, that comes up every day in clinic and in the hospital. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, shout out to all those uh, like me in academia gearing up for another semester, another academic year in the grind of... Of, uh, of teaching pharmacy students and pharmacy trainees and medical trainees as well. Um, so thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at PharmDeetNip. You can follow the podcast on both Instagram and Twitter at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Mm-hmm.